Amen. <clears throat> Wonderful. Thank you, everybody. Uh, John's Gospel, the uh, first chapter, is where we're going to take off from in our text today. And uh, you can take a look at it in your Bible or whatever you use, or you can take a look because it's uh, on the screen there. And uh, here we go, because it's unique. John's Gospel is unique to any other gospel. So here we go. Uh, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And through Him all things were made. Without Him, what? Say nothing. Nothing was made that has been made. He was in the world, and though the world was made, how? Through Him. The world did not, what? Recognize Him. He came to that which was His own, but His own did not receive Him. Talking about the Jewish population, Israel. Yet to all who received Him, those who are Gentiles or Jews who've come to faith, to those who believed in His name, let's read the last line together. He gave the right to become the children of God. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a child of God. That feels pretty good. You're a child of God. You know what that means? You turn to your neighbor and say, you're a millionaire. And you'd say, ha, that's what you think. But a person, you can turn to somebody and say, you're a child of God, and that's reality. You know that money is in the bank. You see, this text is extremely important, and I'll get, I'll get into the reasons why in, uh, in just a moment. I love Christmas. How about you? Anybody? I just, I, I love Christmas. I love what Christmas is about. I love all of that. I love the songs. I love to sing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. doesn't have one liver lip to do with Christmas other than I know that Rudolph was a Christian. I love the cheer, love the smiles. I love all the culture that Christmas creates. I love the cooler weather that comes often. I, I'm one of those. I'd like it to be a little cool on Christmas Day. Anybody join me out there? I like a little cool. I don't like it 80 degrees on Christmas. But I've told God that whatever he wanted to do would be fine with me. How many of you think that's smart? Sure. But I like it a little cooler. And Christmas, of course, can be complicated. There can be a time of tension, and you got to figure out. Some of you newlyweds, you think, well, we didn't talk about when we were dating where we were going to spend Christmas. And if you married a, a mama's boy, sweetheart, that's going to be a real challenge for that old boy come Christmas time. You say, listen, darling, we're going over to my parents' house. He said, but sugar, you know, uh, my, my mom's really expecting us, I know, but you got a new mama these days, bud. See, that's my ring on, that's my ring on my hand that you gave me. Yeah, but darling, you promised to forsake and to leave those and follow me. You know what she's going to say? I don't remember that. <laughs> Hello? You got to figure out whose house you're going to go. Well, let's compromise. Where are we going to go on Christmas Eve? You know, who are we going to spend with? And then you're going to go and you think, okay, some of you know this for a fact. You go to the big old family gathering. 
There's 15 or 20 people, and everybody's supposed to bring a dish. Maybe there's 30. And what gets under your skin like it gets under my skin and creates tension. Some of them will come in and bring a dish half the size of this Bible. And about that deep. And when they go through the line to eat, they have a plate with sideboards on it. And load it up. You know that's the truth. And you look at them and you can know it. It's that same old gelatin they bring every single year with a little bit of fruit in it and some kinds and say, here it is. Hello. For their whole family, they bring that. You say, something's not right about that. Or you go over and you make banana pudding and you bake the big old ham and somebody said, look what we bought. And they hold up a bag of rolls. They got it public somewhere and said, here it is. This is what we brought. Or two gallons of tea, sweet and unsweet tea. And then when it comes time to clean up, I'm getting into this message myself now. When it comes time, I've told you this before, comes time to clean up, you can count on the same ones who will use sideboards on their plate. And then when it comes time, they go sit down and watch the ball game or go outside. Some of them take a smoke and lean against the car. And the only ones that are responsible continues to clean up. And before you know it, my friend, you've got everything clean and you say, thank God. Then they walk back in wanting to know where the pie is so they can have dessert. I'm saying, Take this pie right here. Now let me get the flesh out of the way. <laughs> Be have tension. You hear what I'm saying? Tension. Oh my Lord, have mercy. It's amazing. And then at the end of the day, have you noticed? End of the day, you thought, because Christmas that time is time crunch. I mean, it's get up Christmas Eve, it's get up, let's go, Christmas Day, get up and go. And you sit down about whatever time that is, 5 o'clock, and you are war slap out. That's yard talk. Say, this was a huge whirlwind. Tensions, sometimes not as good. Illustration I've used when I was 10 years of age. November of 1959, my daddy ran under the back of a semi-truck, took the engine block right off, pushed the cab all the way to the bed in the back, started cutting his head off, scraped green paint, the color of the truck, off his cranium, and was in a coma. And my mother, with five kids, I guess at that time, we owned a meat market. That's the busy time when everybody wants to get Christmas going and all the deer and the hogs and the cattle that had to be processed. And it's Christmas time. And I remember as vividly as 10 years of age out there in that market working, cutting up beef and cattle, 9, 10 o'clock at night, having to help some of the family members. You say at 10 years of age, you better believe it. I knew how to swing a knife. I knew how to do all of that. I started working when I started eating. You say, how is that possible? When I started crawling, my mother put on a bib on me, so when I crawled, I cleaned the floor at the same time. I'm telling them, we, we knew how to work, friend. <laughs> Sorry, Mom. <laughs> you, 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 know, you understand what I'm talking about? But then it's Christmas, and then Christmas for us. Some of you don't remember uh, Woolco. Woolco. 
Woolco. My mother, last day, Christmas Eve, finally we get enough money to go down, and there are five or six of us kids. And she go down, and she bought it Christmas in its entirety on Christmas Eve because that's, that's when we had the money. After everybody paid up, that's the way it was. We were just recovering because four years before that, our house burned to the ground. Everything we had was lost. Except the clothes on our back, everything we had was gone. I remember that as a six-year-old, as good as it's today. Four years later, my dad, in a coma, not expected to live. We were saying, hey, God, what's up with this? It's the holiday. It's Christmas. What's all about this? The reality is that we came through those times, and though my dad was never the same after that, it was a meaningful and wonderful time. But during the Christmas time, tensions seem to be a little bit exaggerated. And we know that you can take a deep breath and say, wow, I'm almost dreading it this year. And some of you are saying, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. But whatever challenges you have, when you see the little children, their face light up on Christmas morning or Christmas Eve or whatever it is you do, you just sit there in awe. You look at that Christmas tree and you think, wow, those kids really get excited. It takes away all that tension for a little bit of time. Two of the greatest days in the Christian world happens to be Christmas, and the other one is Easter. So let's get it all right. The first one is Christmas, and the other one is Easter. And both are one-time events. Christmas is the time when God said, Jesus, go down as a baby and present yourself as the supreme sacrifice, and that's what he did. Easter is Jesus' decision. To say, I'll hang on the cross and be gutted and crucified in order to redeem mankind from their sin. But when you know Jesus and when he is a part of your life and you've settled once and for all, my God is my redeemer that even though the wind of adversity might be blowing outside, on the inside you can say with confidence, I know that my God is my redeemer and I know that he cares. When the business seems to dry up and the money's not coming in or the pain of a physical difficulty is there, you can say, well, here's what I know. The darker it gets, the brighter the name of Jesus begins to shine. He is the light of the world. And things get exaggerated during that time because that's what the devil does. But God always provides a supernatural intervention. Now listen, we have the four Gospels, right? The four Gospels, Amos, Leviticus, Lamentations. Thank you. I hear Matthew. I hear Mark. I hear gators. Um, no, I'm sorry. Matthew, Mark. Don't any of you dare say row tide. I don't want to hear it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Those are the four. Now carefully listen. Matthew. Mark. And Luke come from the same perspective. They all talk about the birth of Jesus, especially Luke. 
John doesn't. And there's a reason why. And I know you're wondering why, because you want this spiritual food, and I'm going to tell you. Matthew, Mark, Luke, they were written many years before John wrote his gospel. John's perspective of what happened is totally different. He's an old man by the time he sits to scribe the inspired Word of God flowing through him as an individual. He sat down and he began to write, but oh my Lord, have mercy. The others are dead. And John sits down and says, boy, I've got a massive amount of information and perspective like no other. And it's time that I started writing my experiences. I saw a lot of things happen and he records it in his gospel we know that from the book of Acts, we get a peek inside what's going on in his head. He told the stories of his experiences and what it meant to be with Jesus and what it was like to walk with him and what it was like to hear him teach and, and a supernatural reverberation began to flow out of his mouth. He was the individual who understood. He narrowed down the whole definition of who Jesus was. What's this? With these, these words, God is love. He said everything else, put it together. But God is love. God is not judgment. God is not friend. God is love. Love, my friend, conquers all. And he said, let me tell you, here's what I found out from my own experience in Jesus Christ. God is love. You can imagine what it might have been to walk in the shoes of John. None of us could even guess what that was like. He sat down to write his gospel. Most of his friends were dead because of tragedy, beating, and crucifixion. He lost his family members. Most of them were gone by this time. The culture that he knew it during the days where Jesus was teaching was radically different. The devil would, do, would not hide his head. He was out to take out anybody and John writes about it, if you study carefully. The society no longer had respect and no longer enamored with the Christian church or the miracles. John was alive when Nero and his general, Vespasian, went into Galilee and that general rolled through little town after little town in those Jewish communities, slaughtering thousands of Jews sending thousands and thousands of men, women, and children into the slave markets of Rome. The others did not witness that as well as John. John lived through that. He lived through the time that that general, of course, built walls up around Jerusalem, and they burned the temple down, that holy city called Jerusalem. And seven months, the Romans starved the people inside the walls. Plagues broke out, starvation. You could hear the cries of the children. Thousands and thousands died in the end of A.D., the war, the Jewish war, A.D. 70. When the temple's on the ground, millions of Jews were slaughtered. And 300 plus thousand of them were sent into the Roman slave markets. If you were a Jew, you never confessed it. And the only ones that had any hope happened to be those that listened to the message of Jesus when he was alive. John said, I'm not starting out with some baby in Bethlehem. 
I'm not starting out with some guy in Egypt that they had to flee. I'm not starting out with all that stuff. Luke covered that. Matthew covered it. Mark talks a little bit about it. I'm going to tell you what I saw. This is my gospel. So he wrote at the very beginning of John 1, 1 that we read just a few moments ago. He experienced watching Paul and Peter both being executed by Nero. He saw the bloodshed and the loss. But one thing that John had that the enemy and darkness could not take away, and it is this, and we have the same privilege, he never lost his faith. He made a statement, circumstance will not rob me, individuals will not take my life and cause me to deny my faith. My faith is strong. And John says in John 21, verse 24, this is the disciple, John, who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. And if every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. What did he just say? There are a whole lot of other things other than what's scribed in this book and other books that Jesus did that was never recorded. But I experienced them. The exciting part about all those things that are written is simply this. John said, I had the privilege to see it and I had the privilege to believe it. And he said, now I understand the power of what it means to enjoy Christmas Day. Oh, we sing joy to the world. And oh, we celebrate the lights and we sing all those songs. But John's really getting us to the point and say, hey, it wasn't without the cost. It wasn't without something that just took place that, that we have an opportunity to, to go shopping. He said it was the real deal when Jesus came. He's writing, not that he would want to impress us or cause us to be amazed, but he wanted us to understand what really happened on the other side, supposedly, of the tracks. He understood the earthly foundations of society had been ripped from under his feet and the foundation that he stood on having the security of Jesus, of Peter, and early in the early church having all those ripped out from under in him. And John said, at the end of the day, the one thing that sustained me was Jesus. Jesus. You see, when he heard Jesus say, John, before breathing his last breath, my mother, take care of my mother. Act as if she sired you. Take care of her. It is stated that John and Mary left and went to Ephesus. And that's where Mary, Mary died. One of the things that I enjoy doing from time to time is going home to my mother. My mother, I see her, try to see her every week. She's not able to be in service much uh, anymore. She's watching online, wouldn't miss it. But I go and ask her, say, hey, mom, what was it like when you and dad got married? Never took the time to ask, but the older you get, you come to realize there's some things that you don't know. Mom, what was it like to have six kids? What, what was it like for you and dad when our house burned to the ground? 
Mother, what, what was it like when you got the word that dad had been in an accident and they didn't expect him to live, that the hearse back then, not an ambulance, the hearse that took him to the hospital stayed there for two hours waiting to take his dead body back to the funeral home, which was only six or seven blocks away. What was that like? What was it like, Mom, to face Christmas and knowing, wow, Dad's about half dead in the money, and you got six mouths you need to feed. John had that opportunity with Mary. Hey, Mary, what was it like when you found out, when that angel appeared, and you found out that you were carrying the Son of God? What emotion do you have? Mary, what, what was it like when you possibly went out and would look into a starlit sky and you begin to count, Jesus possibly would turn to you and say, you don't need to count. I can tell you how many there are up there. What was it like to know that the Son of God that you gave birth to was sleeping in this, under the same roof where you lived? What was he like when he got his first haircut? Did he wiggle around? What was it like when you would talk about the Scripture and what was it like when you'd see the sacrifices made in the temple and Jesus was there? Did he get nervous and apprehensive when he saw the lambs being slain? Did that bother him? What was it like? What was it like teaching him? And you knew in your heart of hearts, he's the Messiah. What was it like? When you scolded him, or did you ever have to scold him? What was it like? Did he ever get angry? Did he ever get anxious? Did he ever wake up in the middle of the night afraid because he had a bad dream? And what did he, he and what did he and others, what did he ever talk about, Mary? John had a perspective that no one else had surely he must have asked those questions and john heard the stories over and over again and others would come to john and say hey john you 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 were with mary what, what did y'all talk about what did she say about jesus and john would tell the story again and again and again and that moment came he didn't start with the birth he didn't start with the shepherd he didn't start with the manger he started, through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life, and that life was the light of men. John said, that's what I'm starting with. I had a perspective no one else had. He said, I also know what we went through to live for the gospel. What was important he knew what it was like when Jesus showed up in that manger. He knew what it was like when Jesus taught in the temple at 12 years of age or so. He knew what it was like when the Jews began to say, oh, he's the leader of the Jews and he's going to represent us and that he's going to continue the teachings of the Old Testament. John said, no, here's what I know. His name means Savior. I know that. They thought the miracle that Jesus was performing during his teaching. Well, no one like him, but he's dead now. He remembered when Jesus died, 
Peter ran ahead after the women told John and others that, hey, the tomb is empty. Peter took off and walked right in the tomb. Not John. John peered around the corner and looked in. Peter said, hey, dude, he's not here. He's gone. The ladies, they saw him. It's unbelievable. John said, I remember that. And he remembered when Jesus said they tried to hail the titles upon him and say, are you the king of the Jews? Are you the one that's going to represent the Jews against all enemies? And Jesus said, that's none of your business. John realized that he was not the God of one ethnic group and not one geographical location, but he was the King of kings and the Lord of lords for all people of all time. And he made this statement, knowing this, go and make disciples of all the nations and share with everyone in the parts of the world that you know. And then in many parts you will not know, declare Notice this, declare that this light shines in darkness. Every time we ring the bell, it's shining the light. Every time we do the hoodies, Jesus loves me, we're shining the light. Every time we do an angel tree, we're shining the light. Every time we do a dove tree, we're shining the light. And tonight, Thousands will pour into this room for a great gathering with new song and others, and his name will be exalted, and you will shine the light when you bring your old drunk uncle and say, come on and go to church with me, or your old ratty-faced cousin and say, come on and go to church to me, or you go to your neighbor and say, you know what, I miss. Come on and go to church to me. We're going to have a grand old time. You see, no one listening to this message who reads the book of John could ever come close to the understanding of what John went through for the death and destruction and the pain and the pressure and the tension that John felt. And John said, hey, this is one thing I know. John 1, 5, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Why wouldn't the Jews believe that Jesus there are Messianic Jews who still practice many of the Jewish customs, but they have repented of their sins and become a Christian and follower of Jesus Christ, while we call it Messianic Jews. But a large portion of the Jewish population today still practice the customs that are there and have never believed that Jesus was the Messiah. But they will believe, according to this book, and the Bible said that in the last days they will gather from the north, south, east, and west and head to Jerusalem. And right now, those of you going with me to Jerusalem and to Israel in the first quarter of this coming year, you will see thousands and thousands of new construction of Jews coming from around the planet back home just like that book said they would. And you will know the Bible said in that moment when Gog and Magog, Russia, Syria, Iran, Iraq, those countries during that time of great tribulation, and when they come against as one armed force against the little country of Israel, 
That little country of Israel will, my friend, have war power beyond imagination. And they will know that it is because a supernatural power came down and energized them and multiplied them. And angels got involved in that war. And they will defeat Russia. They will defeat Syria. They will defeat the others. It says in that moment, they will realize somebody that's beyond this planet came down and helped us win and preserve us in this war. That's when the understanding of the light will come on in the Jewish population. So when we celebrate Christmas, we're just warming up the light of the darkness. And when the light shines, the light shines, the darkness dissipates. And you know who knows this more than anyone? Satan himself. And so from the very beginning, old Herod said, we got to get rid of the light. I heard that he's here to reign as king. Let me see if I can't shut out the light. We know, of course, that Nero said, let's shut down the light. The devil said, let's see if we can't crucify him and kill him and shut down the light. But Jesus said, I'm willingly let you shut me down for three days. But on the third day, the light's going to come out brighter than it's ever been. Say, enjoy your little picnic because it's all going to be over. I'm coming out of that grave and I will forever shine into that darkness. So you can take the most wicked family member you have. You can take the toughest situation you have. You can take the greatest reverse and the greatest pain and the greatest difficulty you've ever faced. And when you say the name of Jesus, he will take the light of redemption and shine down on you and doesn't have to say a thing because it's recorded in his supernatural word. He reigns, he reigns, he reigns forevermore. His name is Jesus, the son of the living God. You just get on out there. You, you, get on, you get on out there and you ring that bell. You keep on singing those Christmas songs. You keep on giving. You keep on smiling because you got a secret, friend, and his name is Jesus. But you don't want him to remain a secret. You want everybody to know Jesus loves me. Just saying, hey man, put on that hoodie and walk right down the streets where the gunfire is heard and the drugs are sold. And know this, that hoodie says, Jesus, the son of the living God is the light of all that darkness. Hallelujah. By the grace of God. That's enough. I'm just done right there. Come on, let's stand up, everybody. Nero thought, Caesar thought, death thought, Stephen was stoned, they thought. What they saw in Stephen was the light of the love of Jesus Christ. I can tell you, you can leave here like an armor bearer carrying the good news of Jesus Christ. You can look yourself in the mirror and say, look here, dummy, you've been discouraged lately. You've been downtrodden and you've let the enemy take you by the nap of the neck. But today you're declaring Jesus Christ, the great conqueror lives in me and his light shines through me. No longer am I weak. No longer am I down. No longer am I discouraged. No longer am I depressed. No longer am I weak. I am strong in the name of Jesus Christ. Holy God, come into my life and my theory. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Hallelujah. 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 Makes you want to go out and whip somebody, doesn't it? Amen. Just makes you want to go out and say, God, what can I do? Praise the name of Jesus. And here's what else I know. We do the dub tree and we do that and people in our own church sign up. I want to say this to you. I mean it from my heart. I heard one individual that attends church say to me this morning, I said, how's Christmas going to be? Well, we don't celebrate it much. Difficulties in our family, in our life, and I don't have any money. And You can celebrate Christmas without any money. Amen? But it's a whole lot better if you got a little. You ever notice that? It's a whole lot better if you get a little present. And I'm going to say to everybody, if you are in this congregation, you're our family, and you say things are so tight, you just put a note in my box, and I promise you this congregation will do everything we can to be certain that not one person in this church has any lack when it comes to seeing their children has a little bit of Christmas. Amen? Amen. I'm just telling. I got businessman. The fact. Amen. It's the way that works. And then let me say to you, here, here are the targets, single parent families, primarily women who are single parents. Who is, what, about, what about us guys, you big baby? I pastored a church and worked two other jobs. But you women who are single parents and you got children, or you got grandchildren, if you have friends like that, ask them, how's it going this year? And if they meadly mouth, drill on a little deeper. How's it going? How, how tight's your budget? You say you meddling in somebody else's business. I will every single time. Why, if I get at the real need, sometimes you have to drill deep. How many of you know what it is to have a single life from time to time? Sure, you know what that is. It hurts. So we can do if we just pay attention. Let's pray. Father, we thank you now in the name of Jesus for all your love and your power and the witness of your Holy Spirit. We're looking to you because we need you. We trust you. We believe there's nothing you cannot do. Just so there are some in this room right now or someone listening online whose heart may not be right with Jesus. The light in your life is dark. You feel guilty. You feel unworthy. Or maybe you're here and you say, you know what? I know Jesus and I received him as my Lord and Savior, but I haven't been a light much. I talk like a lot of my unsaved friends. I do a lot of the things they do because, and I know that I should, but I do them anyway. Well, let me tell you what you need to do. Repent and get everything squared away this morning. So just in case you're here, we're gonna, I'm going to ask you to let's repeat this prayer together. Shall we do that? Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father Lord, Jesus, Lord Jesus, my Redeemer, my Redeemer forgive me of my sins come into my heart cleanse me from unrighteousness 
Take all my mistakes and forgive me. I submit my life to you. And I will honor you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's what happens. We're going to sing one song. Stay with me. You know you need prayer. You know you need prayer. We can't make you come. But I can tell you this. Why do we make you or why do we encourage you to come? Because you need an act of obedience often to get the miracle. You just believe that. So if you need a prayer and you need healing or you need to stand in for somebody, just come on down as we sing and I'll give the benediction in a moment. Here we go, everybody. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the greatest congregation in the world. We're serious about how we live for you. We're serious about reaching lost people. We're serious about producing the gospel and sharing it with others. And God, it won't be long and we're going to be standing before you on that judgment day of works. You're going to have a record of every time that we just wade in and say, yes, God. Every time we participated, every time we exalted your name, we're going to be judged on those good works. But God, I don't want to stand there and say, I don't have anything to show. I was too busy, worried about me. But God, not this congregation. Too many opportunities come along for them to say, I'm signing up in Jesus' name. And Lord, you keep an accurate record of all of it. I pray for those online right now. They couldn't come to this altar, but there's an altar right where they are. Would you just speak into their heart as I pray over them that you would continue to confirm their relationship with you and let them sense the spirit of forgiveness. God, we love you and we praise you and we say thank you for it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. I love you, everybody. Love to meet some of you in the hospitality suite and be sure and say hello to somebody you don't like.